This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, helping the people of the world to live healthy lives. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. Do different seasons affect how we feel? How prevalent is seasonal affective disorder among adults? Is it more prevalent in males versus females? Since the dark, cold winter months are fast approaching, I thought it would be appropriate to get ahead of the game and arm ourselves with knowledge and tools to combat seasonal affective disorder, otherwise known as SAD. Joining me today is world-renowned psychiatrist and best-selling author of Defeating Sad, a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. And if you can believe it or not, he is the first man or individual to describe seasonal affective disorder, and he has an interesting story to tell us on how he discovered this disease. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Rosenthal. Thank you for having me. Well, we know that the winter months are hard on us. Now, we both live in climates where, you know, the seasons change usually very dramatically and very drastically. And many of us get anxious with the anticipation of those cold days ahead of us. That is when SAD sets in. Yes, indeed. Um, I was born in South Africa, raised in South Africa, lovely climate, very sunny, and uh so I was unprepared for the New York climate when I arrived in the city. Came in, it was summertime, the days were very long. I was exuberant, which I just assumed was, you know, being a new country and an exciting place. But that wasn't the full story, because what happened was, as the days got shorter, my exuberance decreased. And then came daylight savings time. And all of a sudden, I walked out of work one day and the cold, uh, dark wind coming off the Hudson River just filled me with a sense of gloom. And I thought, what's going on over here? And so it was for three years, exuberant summers, slowed down winters, and a big question mark because it hadn't happened before. And that was the preamble that led to what what was my lifetime research. And it's very fascinating because we all experience seasonal affective disorder um, at some point. Now, I kind of feel that it can happen anytime. I feel like a lot of us, in, in, in Ontario anyways, because we didn't have a very sunny summer, I feel like we're all kind of experiencing it at different times. Is it only in the winter months or do we kind of feel it like when we have three, four days of just gloomy weather? Such a great question, you know, because in the past when I've written about seasonal affective disorder for the general public, I have focused on winter depression. Earlier book of mine was called Winter Blues. But more recently, I realized that this is an all year thing that we are responding to changes in the seasons of one kind or another, and that if we want to live fully, we need to understand those changes and we need to work with them. And that's the inspiration for my new book. And I have to tell you, I do love the new book for that reason, because I was going to ask you the question, can we defeat seasonal affective disorder. And the book answers that so beautifully that we have to understand that it is normal. Because a lot of the times, like you, when you first arrived in New York, you didn't feel normal. It did not feel normal to have a doom and gloom 
feeling when the weather changed, but it's a normal response that our bodies have to changes in temperature, changes in weather, and we can defeat it. Yeah, I love the word defeat because I deliberately chose it instead of overcome or cope with or handle or anything that sounded like in the middle of the road, well, we can just kind of get by. I don't like just getting by. I think life is for thriving. Life is for really relishing. And I think we can relish and thrive if we can conquer our biological vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way of looking at it because they are biological vulnerabilities. But I do feel that the change in seasons that we are actually blessed to be able to experience serve a purpose for us biologically. And when we can accept that, then we understand that, you know, it's not going to last forever, right? We just have to defeat it. And with the tools that you've provided in your book, we can do just that. Exactly. So light therapy, you talk about light therapy, and we know that it, you know, we know the research shows that it helps and it works. But how does dawn therapy work? Research done on the dawn's early light, in the words of the song, show that at the earliest part of the day, the eyes are extremely sensitive to light. So small amounts of light that come on gradually in the morning mimicking a summer dawn will actually have a potent effect. Even though the eyes are shut, you're sleeping. But what happens at that hour of the day is the eyes are so sensitive and the whole body system is so sensitive to picking up the cue of dawn, which has been such an important signal of the length of the day, that we can, by means of these dawn simulating devices, they, we can actually get a potent effect, even though the light levels are so much less than what you would get from a light fixture that you use in your typical therapy, uh, with a much lower signal coming on gradually in the morning when your light eyes are so sensitive, you can get quite an impact. So uh, that is what we talk about when we talk about dawn simulation. And I do share a couple of different devices that allow people to do that. Although good old um, bedside lamps on a timer might do quite well, uh, it's these snazzy new devices are much more sexy. What can I say? I know that we need to sleep in darkness, but one of the tactics or techniques that I use is I sleep with my blinds up sometimes because I like knowing that I can see because I'm up very early and I like that feeling of knowing that as soon as I open my eyes, I feel like my biological clock knows, oh, the sun is slowly creeping up and it's time for me to wake up. Is that a good strategy or should I use, uh, you know, one of the devices that you're talking about or just a good, good bedside lamp? You know, after many years as a psychiatrist, I say any strategy that works is a good strategy. Uh, but but I do want to echo the almost mystical feeling of the first light of the day that comes gradually. It's like a, a signal from the universe that we're getting going again, we're getting started again. And I love that feeling. And, you know, for those of us who want to try to be more mindful of the world around us, this is an opportunity to be mindful, to look, the light is coming, what is happening? And you can even duplicate it. I have various lights in my room and I turn them on sequentially and I feel 
the emotional impact of the growing light, whether it's your natural sun sunrise outside your window or my artificial sunrise. It's a mystical, marvelous way to start the day. I agree with that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like uh, you know, having the light creep into, I call it creep into my room because it, first of all, it makes me aware. Um, so now I'm aware it's l darker for longer where I live. So before it was like 6 a.m. And, and it was already light out. Now it's about 6.20 and it's still not quite light. And I love watching that emerging sunrise because it makes me feel inspired. So I feel like that's helping me get through the seasonal affective uh, disorder sensation. Um, and it also gives me a bit of motivation like, wow, the sun is coming up. And then, you know, I can watch the sun set. And that's actually a beautiful part of my day. It gives me something to look forward to. You know, I, I just love that description, the light creeping into your room. Um, I'm reminded of the poem by Emily Dickinson, uh, which goes, I'll show you how the sun rose one ribbon at a time. You know, one ribbon, it's almost like, you know, with her marvelous poetic vision. But I think we're all tapping into that same mysterious um, quality. And, you know, I'm also reminded of Einstein, who says some people go through life as though nothing's a miracle and others go through life as though everything's a miracle. And I think that the experience of light in the morning, every single morning, you're, you're treated to this light show. It's a miracle. Dr. Rosenthal, it's it's interesting that we talk about all these, you know, mystical ways to let the light in and to help us, you know, defeat the SAD, the seasonal affective disorder. But, you know, with all of your years of experience as a psychiatrist, I know that you're using cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT for treatment for people who may present to you with seasonal affective disorder. How effective is it? And do you use it often? Well, it's a wonderful question because there have actually been research studies done on cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, for um, seasonal affective disorder. And it has shown to be not only as good as light therapy one for one. Of course, you always try to combine things when you are a therapist. You try to use everything that's going to help your client. And actually, in my book, I say combine is like the magic word because you want to put together everything that's going to help somebody. But CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, is definitely one major tool. And the behavioral part is, you know, get outside. Don't lie with your covers over your head. Um, make a date with a friend to have lunch because, you know, when you're feeling withdrawn and you don't feel like going out, it's good if you've made an appointment with somebody, a date with somebody, then you'll keep your lunch date. When we come back, spring fever and summer SAD. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. 
You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Rosenthal and I were discussing CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and it works to defeat SAD, as well as other uh, situations that may arise in a person's life. Now, although there are many factors involved in developing SAD, which we kind of briefly touched upon before the break, I want to expand on that a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about how if you're already feeling slightly depressed or um, also very alone. Uh, you described a situation before the break where somebody might want to go on a date and get, you know, refused. Does Do those situations exacerbate the symptoms of what someone might be feeling if they're feeling seasonal affective disorder? Yes, I think that's really important to realize that our feelings are the vector sum of what's happening to us. And the weather can be an effect, something bad that happens in our lives, or an underlying sense of insecurity that we won't be liked, we won't be popular, things won't turn out well. And so the good therapist, or if you're being your own therapist, you will challenge yourself on all these fronts. You'll say, what'll happen if I get more light? What will happen if I change my job or if I develop some new friends or if I question whether my assumptions are correct? Um, One of the earliest pioneers in this field was Albert Ellis, and he must have had an issue of wondering whether women would talk to him. So he said, well, I'll sit in the park and I'll talk to 100 women and I'll see how many women will be willing to have a conversation with me. And 30 out of 100 were willing. So he said, well, there you are. You know, you don't have to have all the 100 people have chats with you. It's not necessary. If 30 people will have a conversation with me, then I'm not a total pariah. So, uh, you know, he put it to the test. That's what CBT does. It says, test out these things, challenge these things, examine them. Don't just make assumptions that then go on to make you feel awful about yourself. And I think that's maybe what we should also do when it comes to the winter months approaching. Let's not assume that it's going to be a horrible, gloomy winter. Let's assume that although the weather is going to make us feel a certain way, we can do things in our daily lives that are going to keep us inspired. I kind of live by this um, own personal rule. So I know that my days and weeks are busy and hectic. And when the winter is approaching, I'm fully aware that I'm going to be feeling a little bit, you know, extra tired and not willing to go out. So I intentionally take your advice without even knowing it. And I plan things. I give myself things to look forward to, whether it's a weekend gathering, whether it's a trip somewhere. I feel like if I'm looking forward to something, then the days don't seem so long and so dark. Is this a good strategy? It's a brilliant strategy. (laughs) One that I adopt myself, that I encourage other people to take. You know, you you know the winter's coming. You can prepare. Not (laughs) like other things in life that hit you out of the blue. This one is really predictable. Uh, But I think that you need to really recognize the pattern before you can have the confidence to plan like that. And I think it takes several years for some people to realize, "Uh uh-uh, here we go again. It's autumn and that becomes winter and I need to do some special things. And they can be 
very simple things. Um, I have uh, a whole chapter in my book on preparing for autumn. Mm-hmm. And they can be things as simple as trim the hedges around your windows. And that's what I love about your book. This lovely book right here. Um, it's great because it gives you all the tools and you talk about all the things that I wasn't even aware of. So you, you know, we talk about spring fever. What do we do about spring fever? What is it? And why do we have to do anything about it? Let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> well, spring is different for different people. For the poet Tennyson, he said, in spring, a young man's fancies likely turn to thoughts of love. Well, that's all very well if that happens to you. (laughs) Not everybody is like that. We've got T.S. Eliot who says, April is the cruelest month. Breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire. So there's the desire to move forward, but the memory holding you back. There's this kind of tension involved in spring. And it can be very unpleasant. And in fact, which a lot of people don't know, the incidence of suicide peaks, not in the winter, but in the spring and summer because of this instable uh, instability, this, this sort of odd tension between action and sadness and moving forward and staying back. And so with spring, the way you want to treat it is you want to be very stable as much as you can. Don't stay up at, li- at night watching movies till all hours or worse still, you know, using substances to fix whatever it is you think isn't going properly. Um, just steady yourself out if you're feeling spring fever and realize that the season is causing you to have a lot of feelings that, uh, you know, may be best not acted on. Oh, I should break up with her. Oh, he'll never be right for me. Oh, this terrible job. You you know, you might have, uh, you know, flights of fancy uh, as a result of the chemicals in your brain being juggled around by the erratic weather and temperature of spring. Now a bout of sunny days, now cloudy days, now it's cold again, now it's raining, and, and all these environmental changes can really wreak havoc with your mood. And so when it comes to summer SAD, is it kind of the same thing? I, I, we, I've never heard of anyone experiencing it in the summer, but I guess it is a thing. Well, it's becoming more and more of a thing now that the summers are getting so hot. Uh, And this last summer, for example, I saw an unprecedented amount of uh, publicity um, and people asking me for interviews on the summer set. It really exists. We observed it almost at the same time as the winter set because some people came back and said, I've got the exactly opposite problem. And in fact, it is a depression. It can be very severe. It's got different features. Instead of the overeating, oversleeping, carbohydrate craving picture that you get with the winter, these people eat less, they sleep less, they're more likely to be suicidal, and they're often agitated. And so it's a different syndrome, but it's the same kind of coming back each time at a certain time each year. Wow. And um, it can be quite bad. There are remedies, which now that the summer is passing us, may be less relevant, but they are 
involved in keeping cool indoors or outdoors, um, reducing the light instead of increasing the light because with the heat and the light, they can have opposite effects. The heat can be depleting and mm. enervating and the light can be agitating. So you've got this kind of mixed picture that's very uncomfortable and makes people very agitated. So I have one last question for you before we have to wrap up this lovely segment. Do males experience SAD more frequently over females? On the contrary, um, females outnumber males by about three to one when it comes to SAD. And this may be something to do with the biology of the seasonal responses being tied to the biology of the menstrual cycle and the reproductive cycle. So somewhere in evolution, this has been advantageous to be less active in the winter, maybe when a woman is pregnant, uh, more active in the spring and summer when the baby is born. And that's our theory at any rate as to why women are more prone to this particular condition. But it's very important in uh, couples, uh, you know, heterosexual couples, where oftentimes the man is not as sensitive mm -hmm. and it can be a, a source of discord because the, the wife or spouse can say, you know, I'm feeling awful. It's hard to get up on a cloudy day. And he may say, oh, I get up. I have no trouble. Yeah, look at me. I'm jumping up instead of saying, can I bring you a cup of coffee, dear? <laughs> Guess which one is going to bring a better result. I'll leave it to the audience to figure that one out. That's a very, very good point. Dr. Rosenthal, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I absolutely adored your book, and I'm sure that all the listeners will love it too. And if they want to purchase a copy of it and want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Sure. Thank you. I, it's been really a pleasure on my end as well. The name of the book is Defeating Sad, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons. Um, it's available through many, many providers. The go-to for so many people is Amazon, I know, but there are many others. There's Barnes & Noble. There are independent bookstores, which actually I love because we have to keep them alive mm -hmm. in this time of these huge mega bookstores and mega entities. We want to keep that that neighborhood bookstore that you used mm -hmm. to go and page through books and see interesting, fascinating books you never would otherwise know of. So go to my website, uh, normanrosenthal.com. There are lots of resources there and information about this and my 10 earlier books. Yes, that's right. We cannot forget the 10 earlier books. Mm -hmm. So everyone go and find Dr. Rosenthal on the World Wide Web in the bookstores. And thank you again. You can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Machiella or my website, ClaudiaMachiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.